Before you listen to this next episode, we need to make a little disclaimer. Artemis makes a reference to Babylon 5 when he really meant Stargate. So yeah, he kind of blew it. But we still love him. Enjoy the episode! Hello and welcome. I think that I can skip this episode, actually. So why don't you find a co-host? Um, funny that you should mention that. What are you talking about? Uh, actually, I need more than one co-host this week. Why is that? You'll find out. I don't understand. We're the Kinetic Paranormal Society. A pair of socks and a magic wardrobe traveling through time and space. Investigating the supernatural. Personally, I think one host is too many. You're listening to Metacosmos. No, but seriously, what do you mean you have another guest host here? Oh, Trish. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I brought in Trish the Dish. How, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I just went swimming. I'm happy. Oh, are we going to do an episode about swimming or happiness? No. Artemis, it's been four months. Do you know what time it is? What happens every four months? It's time for a Star Trek episode. That's why I brought Trish. Yeah, I love Star Trek. I'm a total Trekkie. Yeah, she's not even embarrassed. No. <laughs> no, not even embarrassed. So I thought we could just ask her to come on the show and we could all do our Star Trek episode together. Trish, why would you do this to yourself? I don't think you understand. Has he explained to you the show? Are you familiar with what we're doing here? I think we're going to be talking about a Star Trek episode. Three. We have to rush through three Star Trek episodes because we only do it every four months. Oh, okay. So we don't have a lot of time to dwell on the episodes heavily. All right. So we're going to look at like thematics. I think we're, we're mostly examining subtext, to be honest. Okay. It's not, no, this is torture is what it is. You see, what he's going to do here is we're picking random episodes. Yeah, I got a random number generator. You, you want to pick the first one? Sure. Yeah, here, push this button. 105. Hold on, let me look it up. That's the, this is the first season of The Next Generation. Episode 105. Oh, season one, episode four, Code of Honor. Code of Honor, that's classic. The, that's no, this is classically considered the worst episode of Star Trek. Yeah, it definitely had some issues. I, uh... I did re-watch this recently, so I know exactly what you're talking about. It's pretty much like what happens with when good intentions are still super, um, I don't, racist might be the word, but it's definitely a kind of cultural blindness and prejudice. Oh yeah, there's a lot of sexism in this episode also. Maybe we should explain to the listeners what this episode is about. Oh, God. I guess it'd probably be better than them actually watching the episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so there's like a vaccine, and the Federation's like, oh, no, we for some reason can't replicate it, which I think is a plot hole. But they wanted to create some sort of thing that puts the Federation at a negotiational disadvantage, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, they basically need to go to this planet and get this rare virus vaccine uh, from these people who are not as technologically advanced as um, um, actually, the Federation. They have their own beaming technology. They do. So they, in many ways, are advanced in their own right. And, okay, I just need to say this from yeah. the outright, okay? Say just, it. just 
there's this whole entire cultural thing where, oh, the Federation needs the vaccine and the people are less advanced and there's like all of these, oh, our cultures don't understand each other because we treat our women in a derogatory manner which then is really a straw man because they're setting up the, the alien people who are played simply as Africans. Let's just say it outright. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's so, they're practically wearing kente cloth. It's, it's absurd. They're giving them African accents. It's all black actors who are then doing and wearing clothes and garbs and Wait, hold on, hold on, I need to jump in here. Yeah. They, at one point, Picard gives them a gift from ancient China, and they emphasize that we're giving you this ancient Chinese gift because you guys are so blatantly Chinese in your <laughs> style of culture. They, they said this. Oh, you're so similar to these Chinese people of our past. I mean, they did have some stylistic clothing choices that... I don't think so, no. I don't think it's an accident. I want to say really quickly, <laughs> are you familiar with the show Babylon 5? Yes. Did you know that there's an episode that takes place with a people that are very Asian, as a, like a Asian parable people, and they are doing the same exact thing as this episode, and it's written by the same woman who wrote this episode? Oh, wow. I don't remember that episode specifically at this moment. So she has a hang-up here. and. For some reason, this is her version of being progressive. But it's actually regressive. Oh, yeah. It's really rough. Especially the way that they can't imagine that Tasha Yar, who's a security officer, could be a security officer. I don't think that that's the sexist part of the episode, though. No, not the most sexist no, part. No, 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 because that's like your typical Star Trek setting up somebody to be the fall guy. Like, clearly, in that moment, we're supposed to look down on... The alien species. Yeah. For, for their having, regressive views. Sure, yeah. It's obviously in the subtext that, no, women are capable and they're stupid for thinking women aren't capable. The problem is that they made them all African. Because doing that's like, oh, African people are stupid. Blah, blah, blah. And that's not nice to say. No, not nice at all. Yeah, that's why I made the mocking voice. I did that in mocking I, voice to be I, clear yeah. to anybody that I'm being very sarcastic. Yes. Yeah, but that's in the subtext. Yeah. And I don't know if it's in the subtext of the script. Because there's nothing in the script that says they're all Africans. Someone decided along the way. Like, the lady that wrote it was being racist towards probably Chinese people or something. Uh, I don't know. Well, she wrote another script that was more Asian-focused, and in the script itself, they're like, you guys are so similar to the ancient Chinese people. So she's trying to be racist to a different group, but the <laughs> set designer was like, no, let's make it more African-themed so no one will know where the racism's directed. And this was their version of progressive in the late 80s. Yeah, it seemed really dated to me, and all the ways that even uh, Data... <laughs> was very um, early data, you know? Yes, they didn't know what they were doing with the character at that point. Yeah, and he was still trying to figure out humor, which I did think was funny. I always think it's funny when he's trying to figure out how to be funny. Yeah, and it was especially unfunny, the way he was trying to be funny. Yeah, he But was. it was unfunny in the way that the people were trying to be funny around him trying to be funny was also unfunny. So nobody was funny. Yeah. And it kind of becomes this idea of, are you worried that maybe in the future people aren't funny? <laughs> at, 
Another one is that the holodecks weren't really polished. They were like, we're still using like a room with black walls and yellow lines while the holodeck is functioning. And we're just like, not just making a holodeck of a, like a dojo. We're like, oh, yeah. you could have made a holodeck of anything, but they're like, well, the audience doesn't know what a holodeck is much yet. So we want to show them the framework. Right. They did a holodeck scene where Tasha Yar had to demonstrate how she could train inside the holodeck with, an, you know, a character that was generated by the holodeck. It's all very contrived, to be honest. <laughs> the entire episode is very much, far too much trying to say things very blatantly. It does do a good job of saying, oh, because of the Prime Directive, we can't interfere with these people and their customs. So it does have at least some of the anthropologists in space aspects. <laughs> yeah. But it's not the anthropologists we have of the modern time. It's more of the anthropologists from the books uh, pre, uh, I don't know how back, but they had black and white photos and a lot of prejudice statements of very much people fearing very much better than the people they're studying. And mm -hmm. when an anthropologist feels like they're better than the people they're studying, they're not really doing a very good job of anthropology. Yeah, that's a lot of judgment. Yeah, so it was a real swing and a miss. Yeah, it was yeah. a swing and a miss. My friend Isaac, you know Isaac, right? I do know we Isaac. We were talking about this episode once, and he was like, yeah, when I was watching Star Trek as a kid, I was pretty excited to see Star Trek come back, and then I saw that episode, and I wasn't so sure if I was into Star Trek anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was early. I was like, maybe this isn't the direction my life needs to go in. And he took a break mm -hmm. and, and was like not seeing season one and two when they happened. I think he came back in on season three. Yeah, well, it did feel very much like the 60s, like when they had the women had a fight. It was the first one who was the wife of the main leader of this planet. Oh, yeah. And they had the women having a fight. And there was all these things like, you find him hot, don't you? You think he's cute. <laughs> yeah, I kind of do. Yeah, but they it's even weird. used the, the kind of music that they used where it's like sort of bamboo clicking together. It sounded really similar to something that you might experience on Vulcan in the 60s. I thought it reminded me in that scene of, oh, the Karate Kid 2. Are you talking about the holodeck scene? The scene, no, when the two ladies are fighting oh, and the little rattles are going clack, 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 clack. Yeah. It's very much like the clack, clack, clack little drum rattles in the Karate Kid 2. Yeah. Which had actually probably come out not long before that episode. You know, maybe that was just what's going on. Maybe there's a lot of clack, clack, clacking going on in the 80s. <laughs> you know, honestly, this episode is an embarrassment to the franchise. <laughs> And it's only one more blemish on this podcast. I think, can we just carry on and stop <laughs> talking about it? And do you want to go over the conclusion? Kind of like a clever conclusion. I mean, you know, Tasha Yar wins the fight, obviously, with the woman that challenges her. Yes, she dies and they bring her back to life using their technology. And oh, the ruffian people with their African stylings are depicted as being incompetent with their customs because they're outsmarted by Federation technology and superiority. And it's just prejudice. Yes, and the people did think that they were very civilized because how they resolved it was that the woman then took the second one as her oh, first one. We should one. say, it turns out that women own the property. Yeah. The men are just representing, kind of like the Iroquois. That's how it works in Iroquois culture. Okay. There's probably a lot of other cultures that do that. Either way, I think that the episode would have done a lot better if they just not given them accents because why would the universal translator give them accents? <laughs> that's racist and another thing they could have done was just slap on a little bit of 
like something on their noses to make them not look exactly like humans. Yeah, it would have been cool if they were more alien. Uh, and maybe cast different races so they yeah. look like they're really like multicolored people. Yeah. Or whatever. Paint them all green. It's a classic motif. Yeah, green would be great. Anything, anything but what they did <laughs> would have been better as long as they didn't just copy another culture and just, oh my God. it's Yeah, I agree, Artemis. It's an embarrassment that they made it. It's an embarrassment that we're talking about it. Okay. <laughs> well, it's uh, Artemis. Do you want to hit the button? It's your turn to pick an episode. There's nothing about me picking an episode I press this button. There, I pressed it. Are you happy? Okay. Episode number 521. Let me look at my spreadsheet. That's a Voyager episode. Voyager. Yay. Okay, Voyager. It's a season three. Uh, it's episode 24. And Displaced. Ooh, good one, Artemis. You picked a good one. I didn't do anything. You pushed the button. He pushed the button. Yeah, he definitely pushed the button. Good job. Much better job than, than Trish did. She got Code of Honor. Sorry, Trish, you blew it. Uh, yeah, sorry about you that. You should have picked a better episode when you randomly picked the button. Yeah. Okay. Um, Displaced. Oh, oh, this is the one where the people are disappearing and reappearing Elsewhere, like people are showing up on their ship. Yeah. Yeah. It just happens. So uh, basically, there are these aliens that act like they don't know why they're on Voyager. Yes, I remember this one. And they're like, oh, it, it's so it's so cold here. I'm so cold. Oh, I'm so confused and so cold. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, man, well, let's get you help. And they're trying to help them because they're so nice because the Federation are helpful to people in need. Yeah. And they also claim, the, these people that are called the Nereans, they, they claim that they don't know what is happening. And so they're working I like with, to call them ne'er-do-wellians. Ne'er-do-wellians. Okay. They don't do very well for you. <laughs> Anyways, go on. Yeah, so basically, one by one, the whole entire crew gets switched out and they still these new people these and these aliens that are called the nereans they still keep on claiming they don't know anything milana torres who's the engineer she has all these oh theories. wait 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 wait! you skipped a part every time they show up on another near duellian shows up on the ship another crew member disappears exactly and they're like what's going on and yeah. the near duellians are like i don't know will you help us figure it out yeah. Meanwhile, they are being smart and putting them into a cargo bay and trying to batten down the hatches. Yeah, isolate this seeming invasion. Yeah, because who knows, you know, what's going on. They're being invaded and transferred off their ship. It's basically, yeah, what's, what's going on. I actually, one thing I like about this episode especially is that they're all completely in the dark. Everything's a mystery. And, and you're getting closer to the clues. And it's only midway through the episode that the mystery is starting to unfold and everything's starting to become clear. And, and as it's all happening, the moment, I don't know which character it is that transfers over, but that in one moment through one character's perspective, suddenly we're revealed all. And yeah. we find out, oh, It was Milana Torres, I think, oh, because she was working with the engineer from oh, the yes. Nereans. And he realized that she was figuring out that this supposed 
a wormhole that was an artificial wormhole that they thought was transporting everybody was actually an intentional thing. Yeah, the near duellians were doing it. Yeah. Yeah, they were totally scheming and they were like, yeah, we don't know what's happening. Yeah, so the engineer from the near duellians, basically he said, I'm going to put you to the top of the line and she disappears. And is sent to a habitat. Yeah. And this is an interesting point. I want to stop here and okay. highlight this. this stop is good, it. Okay, because <laughs> again, one of my favorite aspects of Star Trek uh -huh. is anthropologists in space. Oh. Are you not familiar with this? I think I, I know that you have this uh, interest. Okay, because the entire idea of a prime directive saying we cannot disturb them, that's an anthropology rule. You can't go and taint the culture you're studying. You must absorb it as it is. So the fact that that's the prime directive, do you know what prime means? The first one. Primary, yes. Yeah. Yes. So... You see, it's anthropologists. First and foremost, that's the kind of scientists they are. They're like, hello, we're a ship of anthropologists. We'd like to do a cultural learning. We don't want to taint you. We have rules against it. So it's anthropologists in space, and that's why Code of Honor is an absolute travesty. <laughs> and in this one, we're seeing that the near-duellians, is that what they're called? Well, the Nerians. Nerians, thank you. Yeah. You're confusing me, Bartleby. <laughs> The near-duellians, I mean, the whatever. Um, they, they're the bad kind of anthropologists who capture the animals and put them in a zoo enclosure space. Yeah. I mean, they claim that it's going to be fine because it's a habitat you would like. It's the food you would like. It's all, all your needs are met. But then they meet a guy from next door and he's like, wow, you guys are cooler than the aliens that were here before. And they're like, what do you mean the aliens that were here before? And they're like, oh, the ones that died of a plague. Because you're in an enclosure. Yeah, so then they find out that there's all kinds of habitats in this who knows what it is. It's practically a zoo, but there's no actual people coming to look at them. It's, yeah. But it's basically a zoo. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a zoo. It's a Even a pleasant prison is still a prison. It's honestly, it kind of reminded me of the little holodeck program that they made of the Caribbean vacation. Uh -huh. It was kind of like, they were like, they found the Caribbean vacation program and were like, they like that Caribbean vacation. Yeah. That's their home habitat on Earth. And they just gave them that. Yeah. Here, Caribbean vacation forever. Yeah. But they forgot the steel drums. Oh, yeah. If they had only added the steel drums. They would have really <laughs> probably brought up the mood of their prisoners. Like, maybe they also should have had, like, some drinks like they had in the holodeck. Yeah. They didn't offer any drinks in their prison. That's probably where... I, I'm not condoning drinking. I honestly <laughs> think it would have been really bad for the Starfleet lower their immune system. Yeah. Probably gotten them plague. Anyways. Well, Tuvok ends up creating some sort of way to open up portals or something or other with uh, wait, random parts. It's because they, bring, they managed to bring the doctor on board with the... Um, with, the, with the mobile the emitter. Mo mobile emitter, yeah. yeah. They bring the mobile emitter with the doctor and they use him to like set him to different frequencies of light so he can see. See where the portals the, are, yeah. Exactly. Portals. Honestly, portals was really a vague term in that episode. I think they could have just said doors. Yeah, they could have said doors. Portholes <laughs> would have been probably like 
a little more easy to understand. Yeah. Because there's like portals implies that you're going wee, 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 wee. But once you get outside of these little enclosures, it, you're like in hallways. Yeah, it's basically a door. Yeah. Yeah. And the doctor, he's, of course, got an attitude about being a tricorder. <laughs> yeah. He's the only computer they have. Yeah. Honestly, it's a pretty good episode because it's one of those cases where we're able to examine what makes the Federation so upstanding. Yeah. When they are put against a culture that thinks they're superior morally. Not that different than Code of Honor. Please stop talking about that. <laughs> and the, the idea that they're having a exchange of cultures where one is just thinks they're superior, but is doing the anthropology part wrong. Yeah, and they basically need the tech from uh, Voyager's ship. Yeah, they say they do it for defense purposes, that yeah. they need a ship for defense purposes. But of course they need defense purpose ships because their offense is kidnapping people with their long-distance transporter. Yeah. And putting them in an enclosure. They're going to need a lot of defense ships after they start kidnapping people from around the galaxy for their zoo. Yeah, they had like 90-some habitats in what turns out to be a ship of sorts, right? Personally, I think that could have been interrogated as an idea. For instance, should they want to say, yes, 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 we have to get the ship so that we can defend the planet that we have? And, well, well why are people coming to your planet? Well, because we keep bringing them to our zoo. Or why do you bring them to your zoo? Well, because we're bored and we really like to look at things and study them in their natural habitat. Then why don't you go to their natural habitat? You'd say, it's because we don't have any ships. So we start stealing ships to put people in our zoo to defend people from coming. It sounds like a vicious cycle. Yes, they didn't examine that at all. But they made a really pretty tight episode, let's be honest. Yeah, they did. And I, I really liked the episode, well, the one part of the episode where Bellana and Paris, they have to go escape the Nereans who are, um, is that their name? Yeah, the Nereans. Near-Duelians, yeah. <laughs> Near-Duelians. So that they're, you know, because they are found out in the hallways and they basically escape into this really cold environment. And it's all ice cave kind of tunnels. It was really cool. Of course, Balana can't handle it because she's Klingon and they don't, they like the heat, but they don't like the cold. Yeah. And it was really cool because this is why we didn't develop the near duelians and their zoo issues is because the episode had to make room for developing the Balana Taurus and Paris relationship uh -huh. because this was a big part of the progression of that relationship. Yeah, they even started the whole episode with the two of them coming out of a holodeck program. And they were, it was a training program, like a bat left program. Yeah, and Paris was like, that was the dopest thing ever. And she's like, dude, why are you such a Klingon weeb? <laughs> yeah, she, and then, you know, she gets accused of being hostile and they have all this passion and they- Are we talking about the beginning of the episode? Yeah, we, we are. Now we just had to round back to that because- you know, it was a good episode. Yeah. You know, Bartleby, you're like trying to connect the episode to the other episodes in the continuity. And it's not fair because we're doing this randomly. I want to do these all in order. It would be meaningful if we were talking about the progression of the relationships in the show. But no, it's just plopped right here in the middle of this. What is this, our third Star Trek episode? We're talking already about Milan and Paris? This is ridiculous. No, it's perfect, right? Yeah, I mean, there's, even within the episode, you can see how they grow in their relationship just within that one episode. 
See, Trish is totally gets it. She understands. But she watches a lot of Star Trek. She probably saw this one recently. I did. See, look, she watches a lot of Star Trek. <laughs> it's not a... Look, look, this is... I'm calm down. You want to pick another episode? I'll give you my turn. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter. It's just a random number generator. Well, the thing is, this episode ends with the Nurians being transported into the cold environment. Ugh. So the cold environment is useful for a number of reasons. It's not just the trajectory of the Balana paris relationship, but also because the Nerians had expressed they don't like being in the cold. It was and a really clever episode. Yeah, and then I wonder if it would have fit the Roddenberry there. box. What? Do you know about the Roddenberry uh, box? I don't know. Oh, you don't know about the Roddenberry box? It was also later called the Pillar box, after Michael Pillar. Okay. So... The box was restrictions of things you can't do on a Star Trek episode, like conflicts amongst the crew and um, or some other ones like that. They, they don't have the same way of processing feelings and that they're superior from the way that we used to be, like that humans nowadays would be considered less emotionally mature than the modern humans. Sure. And yeah. there were all these rules of the future and that, for instance, it was filmed as a period piece. They were not to be speaking in the modern dialect. The box required that everyone speak in a very specific scientific manner because that was the culture of the future. So it's like, yeah, a period piece. So this was like the tight rules that Roddenberry was forcing everyone to write in and the TV show writers hated it because they'd be like, man, I want to make some drama. I'm used to writing some drama where people are stabbing each other in the back and betraying each other. Mm -hmm. And Roddenberry's like, no, that's not how it works. And he kind of beat it into Michael Pillar as well. Michael Pillar learned it very much the hard way. And then when Roddenberry was gone, he embraced it fully and kept running the show as saying, no, staying within the box. He was a little more lenient. And that's what led to some spice in those episodes. People give Roddenberry a little hard time, I think. Because the box was cool. Yeah. But, but at times... It wasn't applied very well. Right, yeah, because you get, you know, you want, to, want things to be more realistic also. Yeah! Yeah. So this one would be a thing where they were playing with the box. They were bending the box. In, yeah. Voyager did it a lot. And in this case, by them fighting when they come out of the holodeck at the beginning, not allowed in the box. No, but, but they get to resolve but it. But we resolve the fight. Yeah. And we also see them next to another culture. So we're also examining how cultures who are clearly playing outside the box are wrong. And it does the thing that we see that these are all parables. Star Trek is very much a parable. And where Code of Honor is a failed parable that was written supposedly inside the box. Supposedly. But it's a mess and it's ugly. <laughs> and then Displaced is written outside the box, but I would say just outside the box. Yeah. I it's mean, using the box as its own framework while stepping outside of it. It was uh, inside the cold habitat. If you will, yes. <laughs> I thought it was very a very good episode. But then again, I tend to lean towards liking what Voyager did yeah. most of the time. Yeah. Janeway, when she found a way to transport the Nerians to that cold habitat, that was a, a definite win. And she they, gave them their comeuppance. Uh-huh, for sure. I wonder, though... Were they technically, like, putting them in a lethal situation if they can't handle the cold very well? Yeah, I mean, she said, well, if you don't want to let everybody go and give us back our ship, you can just stay here. Oh, and they did. They did. <laughs> they did decide she to... She used it as a negotiation chip. Yeah. I can get you guys out of the cold if you can 
not be a jerk to me. Yeah. You've kind of been a jerk to me. i got no reason to save you. I mean, they'd say yes to anything. Yeah, that point, they had to. Yeah. Well then, um, are we done? I have to pick my episode, unless you want my turn. No, just push the button. Okay, here we go. And, ooh, 445. This is a Deep Space Nine episode. No, no. What, what episode is it? Season 7. And episode 16. Inter Arma Enum Silent Legas. Okay, that's a lot of words. Yeah, and it doesn't mean anything, I bet. Well, it does actually mean something. It means in time of war, the law falls silent. So this is basically the mission statement of the show Deep Space Nine. Uh, w- uh well, of this particular episode. No, I mean, the no, the, no, no, no. This is in times of war, the law falls silent. Yeah. I would say that the latter four seasons of Deep Space Nine was an examination of this sentence. Yeah. Kind of a little bit overboard to just name an episode it, I guess, but you needed to underline it at this point. You're you're almost done with the entire show. <laughs> just say it outright. I mean, season seven, yeah, that was the last season for DS9. I think this might be one of my least favorite episodes in all of Star Trek. Well, why is that? Well, section 31. Oh, right, right, yeah. Section 31 is an abomination. It really is. And for the listeners who might not know what Section 31 is, maybe one of you guys could explain it. Oh, we really never take time to explain these Star Trek episodes. It's probably why we have so few listeners. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's a great idea. Uh, I'll explain it. So Section 31 is supposed to be like a super duper top secret, not even on the records. We don't even know if they're real or not because it may or may not exist kind of stuff. And they are working, supposedly, for the Federation's interest to do stuff. And they've been there for a long time. And they've been manipulating the galaxy's politics the whole time. And to suppose that's even real would mean that all the stuff that, like, Picard was doing that was, like, really righteous to, like, stand on the side of what was good and what was the Federation and what is the moral thing to do when we follow the Prime Directive. It's all a bunch of hogwash. Because really, Section 31 was stabbing the right people in the back while you weren't looking. Because they're claiming, this is is the crazy part, this is crazy. They're like, the writers of the show on, on Deep Space Nine are like, everything that was written back in the day when we had to stay in the box was a lie. Outside the box. Money was existed because they had gold-plated latinum, don't get me started. And then they had, like, spies manipulating the politics so it's not righteous. And it's, um... It's really kind of undermining. Yeah, I mean, it's a rogue organization. It's not sanctioned by the Federation. They don't recognize Section 31. Well, but, but hold on. I, don't, I just want to skip ahead and say, look, this yeah. episode, the entire time, uh-huh. let's not even summarize it. Because the entire time they're constantly like, is this happening? Oh, no, no, maybe it's this happening. Actually, subterfuge. You don't know what's happening. No one knows what's happening. Anything that we say that made you think something was happening was just to make you think it was happening so they could make something else happen because that's how spy work works. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's actually, I hear, like, the way to keep people misinformed is to give too much information so that you don't know what's real. They're probably doing that for a long time in Russia. We just found out that that was the propaganda technique inside the Soviet Union. Sure. So now that, well, on. now yeah. we're going into the Soviet Union, that's a whole different thing because we get propaganda here as well. 
Well, of course, yes. The US and the, the Soviet Union have been propagandizing their own citizens and each other's citizens for quite a while now. Yeah. And yet the Romulans themselves were devised in Star Trek to be a stand-in for the Soviets because they were all sneaky and spyy. And the whole entire analogy of, oh no, Romulans gave people the impression that the Federation was a stand-in for the US government. But it wasn't. It wasn't a one-for-one. One. They were just saying, what if sneakiness and spyiness was a species? They would be Romulans. Just like the way that all of the testosterone fight, fight, fight energy is given to the Klingons, and the logic is associated with the Vulcans. Under this assumption, you're saying, well then, all of the hypocrisy is associated with the Federation, and it's all a lie, and it's all held together by Section 31, and it's... I don't like it. Yeah, I mean, Section 31 is mysterious. They apparently have this tech that Starfleet can't figure out. They, you know... But at the end, Starfleet did help get the dude out. Like, the, the guy that's running Section 31, he survives. Mm -hmm. And apparently people high up in the Federation claiming they don't know anything about it do know about it. So the implication at the end of the episode is it's not an unofficial, unsanctioned part of the Federation. Yeah, admirals do know about it, and they're just turning the other... They're looking the other way. Oh, didn't he fake a heart attack? They're doing way more than looking the other way. Oh, yeah. They're part of the secret Illuminati order, which is... I agree with Artemis on this one. Yeah, in this it's, episode... It's stupid. Yeah, Admiral Ross had a, a fake aneurysm and was not available for... Dr. Julian Bashir to talk to, and all these things were going on. So Bashir had to reach admiral out. Ross. Yeah, so another evil admiral. Uh, yeah, I mean he seems really nice, but I know. think that's Raddenberry's fault. <laughs> okay, so the deal is this. Here's here's the thing. Uh -huh. The admirals were evil from the get go. Like we had a lot of evil admirals in Star Trek. It's true. I'm not. I can't. And I'm not sure about the the original series. I, I think there were some, but definitely in the early TNG. Lots of evil admirals. Mm -hmm. I think they were somehow symbolizing the studio executives that Roddenberry struggled against. Yeah. So he was like emulating the higher ups as bad because he felt like he was a captain working the hard fight and he had to fight against the evil admirals. Yeah. It set a very bad precedent. Yeah, because that's what gave people the impression of, well, maybe the Federation is just a bunch of BS. <sighs> Yeah. So, yeah. So in this episode, Julian Bashir, the doctor, is there at this conference, this medical conference. He's just supposed to learn about, you know, what's going on there. And he's like a crazy Mary Sue of a character. Yeah. They made him like a super X-Men with superpowers. Yeah. And they make him like always like the chosen one. He's over and over again, the chosen one, unless it's Cisco's the chosen one. There's a lot of chosen ones on Deep Space Nine. You know, Artemis, I'm starting to get what you mean <laughs> about not liking Deep Space Nine. Yeah, well, he's, you know, genetically enhanced, so he could be a really great operative for Section 31 if he was willing to do it, but he's just playing along and uh, because he has, you know, recall, perfect recall on his memory. See here, this is, this is the thing here. Yeah, the thing. What's the, this that is thing? the thing here. I don't. I, I don't like Deep Space Nine. <laughs> okay. The sooner we stop talking about this, the better. <laughs> and I just feel that Deep Space Nine does not do a very good job of shining through and showing us what morality can be. And I just don't like it. 
And what they do instead of showing us what morality can be by showing it through the Federation, we say, oh, look at the people on Deep Space Nine. They are moral, righteous, upright people. Well, some oh, are. Oh, Julian Bashir, such a moral, upright doctor yeah, he with does. great superpowers. And yeah. he, here's what Section 31 is doing. And he says no, because he's a true hero fighting against a dark world. Well, he does get But Star out Trek's not about a dark world, Trish. No. It's about a bright world, it's true. And it's kind of sad when we have to make the world dark so that our heroes look bright. Yeah, and I mean, Bashir does get on his high horse, and he does that a lot. It's not really like a moralistic high horse. and But there are other characters that Cisco, when he's talking with the wormhole aliens, I love those episodes. That's not this episode. I, I, I gotta say, I think there's a lot of, um, not a very strong interrogation of ideas. If they do have an idea being interrogated, it's usually just a straw man. It's true, very much so. I think Artemis is starting to persuade me on this one. What do you mean by straw man? Well, like, they'll be like, oh, here's the things that our show is believes in. And then someone will say, well, counter those ideas. And then they'll be like, well, now we're going to show you why you're wrong. Instead of being, like, complicated, like the end of TNG episodes, sometimes you're like, I don't know who was right and who was wrong. But then, like, not to bring it up, but, like, Pale Moonlight, Cisco like did some seriously crazy things and he basically at the end of the episode says and I do it again. Oh yeah, that was was that the one where he killed a Romulan ambassador to pull the Romulans into the war yeah. when the side that was killing their ambassador was the Federation. Yeah. Like like that's just that was unscrupulous. Well, he didn't actually do it, but no, he no, no, Garrick in to Yes, do it. yes, yes. They get, all of the writing did to give him all the excuses he needs that we can go, oh, it wasn't actually a bad thing. But the writing sits there justifying it. They're just basically trying to say, into armor and in silent legis. That's all that these episodes <laughs> say over and over and over again. The law must go silent because we're gonna do some nasty stuff because war requires nasty stuff. Yeah, war sucks. And it's sad that people are so obsessed with war. And I think it's just because Star Wars sold more tickets in movie theaters that they just said, make it more violent. Make it more war. Those kids don't want to see anthropologists in space. They want to see ninjas and samurais and stuff and cowboys in space. Yeah, I want pirates. I want to see characters doing cool things and no war. No war. Yeah. Pew yeah. pew bang bang kabooey. <laughs> are we done? Yeah, I think we are. This is like the longest episode ever. I don't well, know how we're going to edit this down. I mean, section 31 is basically Sloan does survive because somebody transports him the moment that he gets the writer, shot. The writer did that. I'm, I, cannot, I cannot abide this. I'm sorry, Trish. I'm sorry. Yeah. The, it's too convenient. Everything, these writers are very transparent. <laughs> They're not hiding from me. They're trying to say, look, we're dancing outside of the box. And you're like, you just pooped on the box. <laughs> did you say poop? Stop it. Can we finish? I think we have to. We've got a lot of, this is like our longest episode Yeah, ever. this is a lot of caca. Yeah. Man, <laughs> you can say that twice. It's Haka. deep doo -doo. S9. <laughs> You'll know what the S stands for. Deep S9. <laughs> so, gee, oh, can't believe you put me through this. So yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. 
Uh, Metacosmos is brought to you by viewers like you. They're not viewers. And from people who go to patreon.com slash bluefoot. That's the Patreon page for our producer, Isaac Bluefoot. And Isaac produces this show and all of our other shows that you find at kineticparanormalsociety.com. He also does his other podcast, Superman, Son of Bell, the unauthorized biography of Clark Kent and Trish. You do like the, uh, the editing for that, huh? Uh, I did the written part. Yeah, the, the, yeah. Ed, yeah, the written part. Good point. Literary editing. The literary editing. Yes. Yeah. And you also do another podcast with Isaac. Yeah. You do Salty Astrology. Yeah, Salty Astrology. Man, we should have mentioned that at the top of the show. That's a great show. Yeah. I actually really like it. I'm looking forward to the next one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, those come out every quarter moon, so it's twice a month, not four times a month. That's what quarter moon means. Don't be confused. And so, you should also check out all that. Um, you can find it at any place you listen to podcasts. All these shows. So cool. Yeah. Metacosmos is produced in association with Humble Hot Air, too. And, yeah, yeah. Listen to HumbleHotAir.org for all the cool stuff you want to listen to and just discover something new. And you guys are great. Thanks for coming here, Trish. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Let's do it again sometime. And Artemis, how about in like four months we do three more episodes of Star Trek? I don't think I have a choice. So, yeah. You guys are great. Thanks a lot. I love you. Bartleby. Trish? Yes. Could you guys just do this without me next time? <laughs> no way, dude. No, 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 no. This is for you. Yeah. <laughs>